I think there was a number of smaller factors that all needed to be right in order for this project to have the success it has. So I think I started realizing very early on that you cannot have a successful open source project alone. Right. It's not possible to have one person working in it full time and then it's something that actually takes off. Hi there and welcome to Pod Rocket. I'm your host, Paul, and today we have Stefan Trog with us. Welcome, Stefan. Hi. Thanks for having me. So we're going to be talking about Telegram and bots and open source, more open source flavors today, because we actually had a viewer write in about Stefan and his project that he's the founder of, which is the Grammy bot. And Stefan, this is a Telegram bot, right? I mean, it's a framework for creating bots. So it's basically the, the library that underpins a lot of other bots that people can create. So just to start, Stefan, could you explain to people who aren't immediately familiar, what is Telegram? Because that's the space we're talking about today. Yes. So Telegram, first of all, Telegram is a messenger, like an instant messaging service, like basically all others. Uh, but it has some, some interesting features to it that many other messages don't have. And one of these features is that you can write bots for it. So you can basically um, have automated user accounts. So users that are on the platform, but that don't really correspond to a human, but that have like a server running in the background that does everything. And I've used Telegram a few times, but I feel like it's usually been for like weirder internet channels or like crypto related things. And like it... It has a sense of security about it, right? Like it's the secure platform for chat. Yes, that's definitely how they advertise themselves. Um, it is debatable if that is actually the case because it's still like a cloud messenger, right? So all your messages are stored on the servers of Telegram. Um, and they do have their own encryption, which seems to be pretty good. But since it's their own, no one trusts it really. Um, but I didn't really start using Telegram because of the security. I just started using it because it's very, very fast and it's very easy to use and very expressive and it has bots and it has lots of other cool things. Uh, so while they do do a lot of marketing with the security stuff, it's not really why I'm there. And I mean, one thing I love Telegram is you get all the features that you would expect from like a Discord environment, but it's simple. It really like Telegram does not overwhelm me, which is a feeling I can easily get on other messaging platforms. It's very well laid out, I, I would say. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Yeah, it's it's very nice. It's very approachable, and it's they they do have like advanced features um, that unlock as you start using the app so like for example you can categorize your chats into folders but you will never see that there's a way to organize chats that way unless you start having a lot of chats where this starts to make sense so it doesn't clutter the interface unless you really need the feature wow <laughs> that that's like brilliant it makes sense you know we had somebody write in about this and they were you know, hailing how great this framework was and, and what a great open source community was built around it. And we like to focus on open source projects and creators here. So, you know, I'd love to get into a little bit about like your story, how you started and, and all these things that made your open source community really click. 
Um, but before we get there, let's talk a little bit about the, the technology, the, the framework that you built. You know, what caused you to want to build the framework? Yeah, I mean, it's a bit of a stereotypical story because uh, at the time I was studying and I was just like sitting alone in my room and was like, there's no good framework that does this sufficiently well. So I just sat down and coded my own thing. And this was bots? Yeah, this was so. Um, okay, maybe maybe we can start even earlier. Um, I started writing bots before I write it, before I started writing the framework. Right. So my first Telegram bot that I created was because um, I was in a chat with a group of friends, and uh, someone always sent video files in AVI format, and my phone couldn't play it. So. I always had to like download the file and convert it to MP4 and then post it back to the chat so everyone else could watch it too. And that was really annoying over the time. And uh, that person was not really up for sending them in MP4 directly. So what I did was like just code a little Telegram bot that I could add to the chat. And that would do this automatically for me. So it would just convert these video files. So that was super useful. And then... It's this common story of how I, I mean, the bot was working, but it wasn't the nicest code. So I tried to like make it a little bit prettier, like just cleaner. And then I found out, well, if I want to have like a cleaner bot, it basically means I have to use a better library and that library didn't exist. And so I started contributing to the library that I was using at the time. It's called Telegraph. And um, but it was written in JavaScript, and I wanted to write TypeScript, so I tried to port it over to TypeScript, but that revealed some really funky internals that didn't really work that well, and ah, I don't know, that was just, I mean, it was okay, but it was never really good, like, I was never really happy, and so in the end, I felt like, yeah, just uh, screw this, I can I can write a better bot framework than this in, like, two weeks of time. Uh, that's what I thought, and turns out I was wrong. <laughs> it took three weeks, but uh, <laughs> in the end, I had a bot framework, and I thought, uh, well, now this is nice. Now I'm done. Um, and once again, I was wrong because the real work only starts once you have a project that people start using, um, because then all the people started reporting like small bugs and had like feature requests and like wanted to write plugins and do all these things and then they wanted to have like a website with documentation and so it really started taking off from there really um that's like one and a half years ago i started publishing stuff and we're at like 500 stars on github now yeah so you've been creating this this framework like when did you decide to go open source with it was it like from the very beginning you were like i'm gonna create this i'm just gonna make it open and we'll see what happens or did you kind of like work on it in your room and then finally do a big release? No, that that was basically from the very start. Um, it it was because I had used other libraries in the bot I wanted to build um, that all were open source. So I first started improving them, and only then, when I figured I need to write my own thing, uh, that was just the natural way of continuing, like publish something that's better, and have this whole community that likes that one framework um, transition basically, or at least, you know, try to convince them that there's better solutions out there. 
So what do you think was one of the big drivers of success when you were starting from the get-go? Because gaining steam is difficult. Yes. Um, there wasn't, I don't think there was like this one single event that made like the huge change. Um, but I think there was like a, a number of smaller factors that um, all that all needed to be right in order for this project to to have the success it has. Um, and so I think I started realizing very early on that it, you cannot have a successful open source project alone, right? It's not possible to have like one person working in it like full time, and then it's something that actually like takes off um so from from the beginning basically i started setting up like the github organization for example in a way that more people could join and could develop their own parts and that it's like this collaborative project and right now we are like 15 people in the organization and we have i don't know like 30 different plugins or something and so just the fact that I'm able to delegate basically everything is, in my eyes, that's like one of the reasons why we're able to to develop so much and have like such a wide variety of integrations with like web frameworks and databases and all these things. Like that's just too much for one person to wrap their head around. And just the fact that it's collaborative and people are working together and like are nice to each other, <laughs> That is a huge thing. And yeah, so then the other part, I think, is, is approachability, right? Because um, it's, it's actually quite funny. When you look at who wants to develop a bot, right? Then it's often people who have experience in JavaScript. So people who uh, maybe have done a little bit of front-end work and maybe you want to let, get into the back-end. And then it's very hard to actually write a backend without having a frontend, right? Because it's not that much fun to send HTTP requests and then be like happy that your software is like technically working correctly because you want to like provide some, some value to the world. Like it should matter what you do. Right. And so telegram bots are quite convenient because you can write your backend, but since everything works through the chat interface to telegram, you don't have to care about the frontend at all. Like that's just all done for you. And so as a result, there's a lot of people who don't really have a lot of experience in doing backend stuff um, joining this, this, um, yeah, this community. And so that's why we have to be very careful to explain things from like with very basic terms, right? Because like 90% of the people just have like this small project that they do in their free time. And so it has to be very, very simple and very easy to understand. And then similar to Telegram, it like the, the more you know, the more features you are interested in maybe. And the, the better you get at coding, the more advanced concepts the documentation introduces to you. And so this this way that the the library basically scales up with your knowledge. That's like another thing where I feel it makes it very attractive to people. Enjoying the podcast? Consider hitting that follow button for more great episodes. Do you, do you implement that by like 
I'm just shooting in the dark here, but like having really sensible defaults, like really good, like easy ways to instantiate things. That's one thing that Google does. I know that makes their amazingly giantly complicated cloud infrastructure approachable is you can copy and paste one line of code and interact with Firestore database. Yes, that is actually something we do. So for example, um, one one of the things that made made things a lot more approachable is that usually if you develop something in the back end, you, you do need a database after all, right? So Telegram sends the messages for you, but it doesn't give you a data storage for everything. And so that's a bit of a hassle because if you do need to store data, but you just started coding, um, then it's a bit too difficult to set up a database and configure everything. And then you probably have to like rent some service somewhere and all these things. And so what we actually do is we provide free data storage to everyone. And so people like can just get some free database storage space um, with like two lines of code and everything's completely set up and ready. And then th there are some limits to this, right? It's not the fastest data storage and, and um, we don't actually give away infinite amounts of storage space. Um, but it's very easy to get up and running. And when you need like a better database, you can swap out these things and then you can start configuring things. Uh, so that's the, the, that's the one side that we, we do provide these defaults, just like you said. And the other thing is that we actually, like we have some fairly sophisticated concepts that are implemented in the, in the core library. And they're very hard to understand if you just want to write a little bot. And they're also not necessary to understand. So what we actually do is we um, divide it up into different level of levels of abstraction. And we start explaining it like in a very high level way and give code examples. So you can basically just copy paste it and it works. And you know like roughly what it's doing. And then in the end of the section, it says, yeah, by the way, if you want to like dig deeper, click here. And then you get to like the next chapter a bit later in the advanced section. And then it explains you, yeah, well, we explained this to you earlier and it's not wrong, but it's just a simplification. And then we start digging deeper and, and unveil what's actually below. And we do this in several iterations and for like, at, at least for the difficult concepts everywhere. And so I think that that also contributes to like, you know, bridging this gap between people who just want to know a little bit and people who really want to like know everything. Yeah, you're really bringing in like enriching the community with the way that you're being careful about it. it I mean, it sounds like the big takeaway here is really be well thought out about how you are abstracting the different layers of like business logic within your application. Because if you're really precise about that and you do it in a optimal way, you're going to have like an optimal path that people can build mental models around your project and consume it easier. Yes, that's that's what we're trying at least. And it's also it does help. I mean, we're doing a library, right? It's, it's the framework that powers a lot of other projects. So if you just do your one application, then you might not care too much about the right abstractions here and there because it's just like one application. It, it might make sense, but... Uh, I feel like it's easier to be a little careless there. While our our library is used so much by thousands of projects that we kind of like have to be very careful that everything's perfectly right before we release it. 
And it's like really tempting as developers sometimes to say like, this is so annoying. Let's just like make auto magicing defaulty this and that. And then you, you run yourself into a hole, a really complicated maze. Yes. So I think we've all been there. (laughs) It's Emily again, producer for Pod Rocket. And I want to talk to you. Yeah, you, the person who's listening but won't stop talking about your new favorite front-end framework to your friends, even though they don't want to hear about it anymore. Well, I do want to hear about it because you're really important to us as a listener. So what do you think of PodRocket? What do you like best? What do you absolutely hate? What's the one thing in the entire world that you want to hear about? Edge computing? Weird little component libraries? How to become a productive developer when your Wi-Fi is out? I don't know. And that's the point. If you get in contact with us, you can rant about how we haven't had your favorite dev advocate on or tell us we're doing great, whatever. And if you do, we'll give you a $25 gift card. That's pretty sweet, right? So reach out to us. Links are in the description. $25 gift card. Is there any like things you've learned while doing this project that you take away as, you know, pillars of truth that help you think about abstractions for your next project. Yeah, I think so. Um, so what what is interesting is no matter how convinced you are that you have the right abstraction, like you have to test it. You have to actually go and write some code for it and and work with it for a while and maybe have other people read it and other people try to understand it. And it's time that can tell whether your abstraction is any good and not how amazed you are by it. Uh, I've had it several times that I thought like, oh, this is genius, man. I have, I have such a good idea here. And then eh, it turns out, nope, <laughs> that's not the case. And so just doing iterative work, it, it shows very often in software that doing things iteratively helps a lot. And uh, I think that's even more true for abstractions. And people are always saying test-driven driven development, test-driven development. Well, if you're developing an abstraction, what you're testing is the human interaction. So go yeah. test on the human. Go test. That's on- a very good observation. That's right. Yeah. Mm. Um, and, and like building the building the open source community. One observation I had while while you were talking is that it sounds like one thing that was very conducive to this community being built and being strong. Well, it's two things. And one of them we already talked about, which is making the stack approachable, the mental model, like, you know, conceivably consumable for the average person. But the second thing seems to be the way that you set up this framework was, you know, an integrations plugin based paradigm where you have like a highly trained core set of people being yourself, maybe, you know, whoever else is doing it on the framework and then anybody else can come in and with a limited set of knowledge develop a plugin with the api you guys provide and it instantly grows the, the the breadth of this framework uh do you think that was a design decision that really helped propel the growth of the project i think so yeah actually yeah um and it's interesting because it's um the the framework i used before had a similar setup so it, it wasn't quite working as well as as this one is but as grammy is but um they had a similar setup and and still they weren't able to grow a community and i think that is because um we have this thing we call official plugins so when people 
come to the group chat and be like, yeah, by the way, I, wouldn't it be cool to have a plugin that does so-and-so? Then we actually encourage them to not just publish it, but also um, transfer to our GitHub organization and publish it on our organization on, on NPM. And then they get their dedicated page on the website and they become the maintainer. And um, so it's really like, it feels like the community is giving you something back for the ideas you have and for the contribution, contributions you make. So in a way, I mean, for example, people have, have asked if they can donate things to, to the organization or like just, you know, help us financially. While we don't really have much costs, so I'm not sure what the point would be. But I think the main thing that people get out of contributing to Grammy is that they make a difference. Like they are relevant. And like, it's just nice because you do your thing and it's not like you help someone else with the project. It's actually like you get your own piece of it. Like you get to own your plugin and you get to work on it and you get to make the decisions. And of course we have like certain standards, like things, you know, should be well-documented and should be high code quality and no bugs and like try to be responsive and these things, right? Um, but in the end, it's really like whoever joins us as a maintainer is going to have their own plugin. And uh, I think that is the kind of motivation and drives a sort of engagement that other projects sometimes lack. So it's this combination of having this um, open, like, or this open platform where people can plug in uh, in combination with um, supporting them in doing so and yeah, encouraging them. It's. It reminds me of this post. I saw a cheesy LinkedIn post the other day, and it was like, you know, if you want employees to stay, like pay is good and this is good. But the one thing that made me stay when I was young was ownership of of the work I was doing. And I mean, that's one thing with open source is like, you know, I've I've pushed up a bug before, and it's kind of like it just gets lost in the abyss. And then like I'll get a random email like four months later because somebody else commented on my thread and i'm like oh yeah i remember doing that that doesn't matter at all in my life so you know having this sort of like community driven thing i can totally see that like having a huge profound effect on on the base of people that want to contribute um what what's one of the like the most whimsical plugins that somebody's made like i maybe not the most useful but like one of the most fun or silly there's uh, there's one which I like particularly <laughs> well uh, that was um, so you, you know it's like a, it's a framework for writing bots right and in messengers you you use a lot of emoji but in code it's really not that nice to type emoji all the time um, because you often like have to copy and paste them from websites and then uh, some some editors don't render them in the right width so it's like I mean it's possible and and it's allowed javascript can do it but it's i never felt like it was nice and so there was this plugin where you can basically reference all the thousands of emoji by these short names these alpha names and so what you can do is instead of like typing your message like that the bot should send uh, and then pasting an emoji into your source code you can just like call that function and pass a string saying thinking face and then it's going to insert this emoji for you. <laughs> so, and then there's like all sorts of other things to this plugin that makes it very convenient to use. 
Um, but just the fact of like making it easier to have emoji in your code, I don't know. I, I, I was pretty amused when that was published. Yeah, that, that definitely fits the whimsical box. Um, are there any integrations or other services out there that you hope to see integrated soon or things that are, in your mind, low-hanging fruit and you're like, why don't people see this? It's such a good opportunity. I mean, we already have a really, really high number of integrations. I mean, really, really high. There's like, I don't know how many different databases. We have like 10 to 15 or something. Oh, wow. Wow, you're really good. Yeah, okay. yeah. And there's one guy doing all of this. I mean, some some were contributed by other by other ones. Actually, we have like a, yeah, just like an hour ago, we had the last edition of a new, like we are supporting Prisma now, which is some. Wow. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. And we have like an integration with Nest.js and all sorts of things. Um, so I I don't really feel like there are these amazing things out there and we just can't like integrate. It's more like we have so many things and I don't even know all of them. <laughs> and so that's, that's of course very nice. And then also um, because often people write code that is both a bot and a regular web server. And so you sometimes want to integrate with things like Express and Koa and, and these things. And um, those exist too. I, I'm not. I don't remember how many integrations with web frameworks we have, but like all the main ones are there, and all the different hosting platforms like Amazon, like the AWS Lambda, and I don't know. It's it's all there. Uh, so yeah, I'm excited to see what what other frameworks emerge that we can integrate yeah. with. <laughs> I like in the same position that uh, uh, some. You know, I'm in. I'm like, you know, I want to give ideas to help people brainstorm. But you're like, come to me. I don't. I don't know. Like, we're... been there, done that. Yeah. The the fun thing was that we we actually started uh, working with Deno. That's like, um, it poses itself as the successor of Node.js, and it has some interesting concepts. And so we always publish all libraries and plugins. I mean, the core library and all plugins uh, for both runtimes. So that opens up a new dimension of frameworks and databases and so on to integrate with. So yeah, when it comes to compatibility, I think we're, we're fairly on a, on a good track here. So what's next on your roadmap? There's, I mean, so, so far what we've done is um, we take the, the API that Telegram offers us and make it nice, basically, right? Like, in, in essence, it's about how how does it get more convenient to write a bot? Um, but still, everything was tied to this model of the API that you get a message from a user, and then you reply to that message, and then you maybe get the next message and reply to that one, or, I don't know, people press buttons or do searches and all the other features that Telegram has. But in the end, it's really, like, just this... There comes a request and there goes a response. And if you think about chat, like the like how humans text with each other, that's not really how it works because any question and any piece of information you get needs to be seen in the context of the chat history, right? Like um, if if I ask what time, it doesn't really make much sense just that message. You always have to like remember what was. The, the history before, like which messages did we exchange before, right? So 
there's this this fundamental mismatch between how do servers work today and how do humans chat right and so if you look at the code that you write to to make a bot it you can clearly see this because you write code in this event based way but you really like you you can't read through the code and understand oh right yeah whoever uses this bot will have a conversation that looks like this because it's just i don't know it doesn't add up and so we've done months and months of brainstorming um and i've had a couple of ideas that i thought were genius and turns out nope (laughs) they weren't um but in the end we settled with something which which we call grammy conversations and it's this new kind of abstraction that i hope to get published soon ish Uh, we will see how, how well it goes um i i hope we're talking just a few weeks um but it's it's this way of of basically being able to write your code exactly the way the chat would work. So basically send a message and then wait for a response and then do this and then do that. And then we have some very, very fancy things going on under the hood that that basically translate this one concept into the other so that things work out in the end. But but it involves things like um, executing code partially and then just stopping execution of user provided code at like random points in the middle and storing the state of execution into some database and then like when the next message comes we have to like rewind the code up to that place and continue executing bits of it and it's it's pretty fancy um but it works very well and even though like we have an unstable version of it published and and even though there aren't really any docs for it yet and it's it there are a lot of bugs that just need to be fixed and missing features and so on and and still people are really excited about it and it's like one of the most demanded plugins um and so it seems to be going in a really good direction right now so i'm excited to like get this done and and see if it actually turns out as well as i hope it will <laughs> so is that one of the things that you would store like in the grammy database Processing. That is one thing that you could store there. Yes, it it does integrate with each other. So we like all plugins we have. Basically, we make sure that everything integrates extremely well with each other. So, so yeah, I guess the the conversation is that's really like you're building a state machine that's stored in a database. That's like right, exactly. Just that I mean, and people have tried other abstractions, and a state machine is is one of the abstractions that people have tried. But it turns out that like writing a state machine in code is often not that nice um, because I mean, I mean, you can, you can do it and there are libraries who make it okay, but it's, you still don't get as close to like a chat as you do with Grammy conversations now. So it's in a way you can see it as a very weird abstraction over a state machine. Yeah, I've never heard of something like this existing like for Discord. But I thought I've looked, but um I, I have I have tried to find it actually. I've tr- I, like searched through all frameworks that I know for Telegram and all for Discord and I also looked like because apparently Google and Microsoft and so on, they also have their own chat uh things i don't i don't quite know what they do but just the the parts of it that were open source i read through the code and 
they all just had the similar abstractions that everyone else does. But I couldn't find what we came up with now anywhere. So it seems to be novel. It must feel really good to, I mean, that might be like new novel chat room technology that you're coming out with. Yeah, I, I mean, it does make it much easier to design these bots and it does make it much easier to for anyone to get started. And and um, so I hope, I mean, usually it's that way. If you have like a higher abstraction and you can start to reason about your code differently, that it will enable you to build different products and build better products. And so I, I'm fairly excited about it. So I, I hope like... Uh, people agree with me <laughs> when it's ready so if listeners want to go look at the project they can go to github.com uh grammy repo uh if they want to find you stefan where can people find you uh i'm also mostly on github i'm on telegram of course um and i'm always in the group chat which is which is linked in the repo and on the website and uh, i think if you find any trace of the project it will be very easy to find me and uh, I guess if people want to look into this and, for example, is I can go to the Grammy website um, and just go to the documentation, right? Yes. So if, if you already have like Node.js installed, it shouldn't take more than like five minutes to get your first bot running. Um, it's, it's really, really simple. Yeah. We have, we have detailed guides and tutorials for everything. So it's really, really not a steep learning curve. And I guess if you want to get involved with open source, this might be a great, you know, repo and project to take a look at. Not only because of, you know, the great things we talked about on this episode about how Stefan's like managing this open source community and the way this is built, the paradigm and abstractions it's built on. But also like, let's quickly remember that this episode was brought by somebody who was contributing to the repo and they had just amazing things to say about the community that's being built over here. And you know, the level of interactivity that everybody's having. So definitely go check it out if you want to see what open source is like and you haven't gotten into it as well. Um, well, thank you for your time, Stefan. We appreciate it. Appreciate uh, the things you have to share with the world about running the successful community you guys are building over at Grammy. Thank you so much. Hey, this is Emily, one of the producers for PodRocket. I'm so glad you're enjoying this episode. You probably hear this from lots of other podcasts, but we really do appreciate our listeners. Without you, there would be no podcast. And because of that, it would really help if you could follow us on Apple Podcasts so we can continue to bring you conversations with great devs like Evan Yu and Rich Harris. In return, we'll send you some awesome PodRocket stickers. So check out the show notes on this episode and follow the link to claim your stickers as a small thanks for following us on Apple Podcasts.